This is CPX number 55, The Nature of the Sacraments. This is Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 58 to 59, question and answer number 1 through 9. These are the definitions and examples of the sacraments. God give you his peace, and nomine patri sefiri spiritu santi, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere in filling all things, treasure of all good, and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us, and save us, you who are all good, amen. Now, just a quick note of Bene before we start. When I say the word physical in reading the Catechism today, you might notice that your CPX translation says the word sensible. I think sensible is probably a transliteration of the Latin and Italian when physical was meant. So I think that was a mistranslation. So I'm going to take the liberty of changing it to physical. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Question number one. What is treated of in the fourth part of the Christian doctrine? Answer, in the fourth part of the Christian doctrine, the sacraments are treated of. Number two, what is meant by the word sacrament? By the word sacrament is meant a physical and efficacious sign of grace instituted by Christ to sanctify our souls. Number three, why do you call the sacraments physical and efficacious signs of grace? Answer, I call the sacraments physical and efficacious signs of grace because all the sacraments signify by means of physical things the divine grace which they produce in our souls. Number four, show by an example how the sacraments are physical and efficacious signs of grace. Answer, in baptism, the pouring of water on the head of the person and the words, I baptize thee, that is, I wash thee, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, are a physical sign of that which baptism accomplishes in the soul. Just as water washes the body, so in like manner does the grace given in baptism cleanse the soul from sin. Number five, how many sacraments are there and what are they called? Answer, there are seven sacraments. Baptism, Confirmation, Eucharist, Penance, Extreme Unction, Holy Orders, and Matrimony. Number six, what is necessary to constitute a sacrament? Answer, to constitute a sacrament is necessary to have the matter, the form, and the minister who must have the intention to do what the church does. Number seven, what is the matter of the sacraments? The matter of the sacraments is the physical thing that is made use of in effecting the sacraments, such as, for example, natural water in baptism, oil and balsam in confirmation. Number eight, what is the form of the sacraments? Answer, the form of the sacraments is the words which are pronounced in order to affect the sacrament. Number nine, who is the minister of the sacraments? Answer, the minister of the sacraments is the person who administers or confers the sacrament. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. So the question I'd like to ask today is, could Jesus save us without the sacraments? But first we have to ask, could God have saved sinful humanity without the passion and resurrection of Jesus? So really ask yourself as you think about that, and remember, no risk in answering to yourself. No one's going to judge you as a heretic all alone watching YouTube or listening to a podcast. Just ask yourself this, could God have saved sinful humanity without the cross? Well, this is a question that both St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas struggled with. Let's hear what they say, and this is summarized in the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas, third part, question 46. Article 2 asks whether there was any other possible way of human deliverance besides the passion of Christ. Deliverance means our salvation. 
St. Augustine answers first, We assert that the way whereby God deigned to deliver us by the man Jesus Christ, who is mediator between God and man, is both good and befitting the divine dignity. But let us also show that other possible means were not lacking on God's part, to whose power all things are equally subordinate. Now, he's not saying there's all these different religions that lead to salvation. He's not saying there's these mysterious Gnostic ways that we don't know about that God has chosen to save us. He just means that because nothing is impossible for God, God could have chosen other means. But he didn't. He chose the passion of Christ. Then St. Thomas Aquinas answers, I answer that a thing may be said to be possible or impossible in two ways. First of all, simply and absolutely, or secondly, from supposition. Therefore, listen, here's really important. Sorry to pause in the middle of a quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, but this next sentence is important. Therefore, speaking simply and absolutely, it was possible for God to deliver mankind otherwise than by the passion of Christ, because, quote, no word shall be impossible with God, end quote, Luke 1.37. St. Thomas Aquinas continues, Yet it was impossible if some supposition be made. For since it is impossible for God's foreknowledge to be deceived and his will or ordinance to be frustrated, then supposing God's foreknowledge and ordinance regarding Christ's passion, it was not possible at the same time for Christ not to suffer and for mankind to be delivered otherwise than by Christ's passion, and the same holds good of all things foreknown and preordained by God." End quote. I think there was a bunch of double and triple negatives in there, and you might have got lost, but it's going to make sense at the next article. That was Article 2. Let's listen to Article 3. Whether there was any more suitable way of delivering the human race than by Christ's passion. Now here St. Thomas Aquinas' answer is very comprehensive and very beautiful. And I think it's a little more simple, so listen close. I answer that among means to an end, that one is the more suitable whereby the various concurring means employed are themselves helpful to such end. But in this, that man was delivered by Christ's passion... Many other things besides deliverance from sin occurred for man's salvation. In the first place, man knows thereby how much God loves him and is thereby stirred to love him in return, and herein lies the perfection of human salvation. Hence the apostle says in Romans 5.8, God commendeth his charity towards us, for when as yet we were sinners, Christ died for us. Secondly, because thereby he set us an example of obedience, humility, constancy, justice, and the other virtues displayed in the Passion, which are requisite for man's salvation. Hence it is written in 1 Peter 2.21, Christ also suffered for us, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Thirdly, because Christ, by his Passion, not only delivered man from sin, but also merited justifying grace for him and the glory of bliss, as shall be shown later. Fourthly, because by this, man is all the more bound to refrain from sin, according to 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a great price. Glorify and bear God in your body. Fifthly, because it redounded to man's greater dignity, that as man was overcome and deceived by the devil, so also it should be a man that should overthrow the devil. And as man deserved death, so a man by dying should vanquish death. Hence it is written in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be to God, who hath given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was accordingly more fitting that we should be delivered by Christ's passion than simply by God's good will. That was St. Thomas Aquinas. 
It was accordingly more fitting that we should be delivered by Christ's passion than simply by God's good will. Now, when he says fitting, that doesn't mean just kind of British proper. That means everything that he just said about how bloody of a sacrifice it took to really make atonement or propitiation for how evil the sins of all of humanity have been. Okay, so notice then in theology that question of suitability is different from the question of possibility, especially when speaking of God, since nothing is impossible for God. But he also does what corresponds to reality more, and therefore the passion was the way he chose to save us. And how is the merits of the passion transmitted to us? By the sacraments. Now, would it have been possible to save us without the sacraments? Yes, but God willed to save us via the sacraments. Probably for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give you three I want to highlight today. The first, like I said, is that all sacraments flow from the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So everything I just quoted on the passion is by corollary true to the importance of the sacraments in our lives for our salvation since Jesus became a man in the flesh and the sacraments are transmitted according to the flesh. Number two, all the early Christians and every Christian before the year 1500 believed the sacraments were necessary for salvation. So if Martin Luther and Zwingli and all the reformers, if they figured something new out, they don't have the support of any age already led by the Holy Spirit. And the third reason I want to give you today is this, that the angels chose God or fell, that is, the angels loved God or rebelled, based only on the intellect and will. Whereas we humans have to use our intellect and will and bodies to be saved, at least under normal circumstances. There's a few exceptions like babies who are baptized and immediately die, they go to heaven. But back to comparing angels and men. The angels who became demons only committed sins in the intellect. They did not commit sins like lust or gluttony, sins that you need a body for. Why? Because angels don't have bodies. So angels are saved or damned regardless of anything physical. Angels are saved or damned based on their intellect. But that's not true for us men. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that right there overturns this idea of once saved, always saved. That quote right there shows that once you've accepted Jesus in your mind, we can't talk about a once saved, always saved. Listen again, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, Luther made the mistake of projecting the judgment of angels upon man, namely a judgment based only on a mental acceptance of God. That is the error of Protestantism, believing this is true for man, that all of your salvation is hinged on mentally accepting Jesus as Savior or not. Now, that's a very important thing, and I hope every Catholic listening out there has made that prayer of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, you should. But that's not the only thing that will determine your salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.10 again, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, angels are not judged by what they did in the body for two reasons. One, because they don't have bodies. And two, they never had the chance to go to confession to a priest like we do after baptism if they sinned. Therefore, angels were in some sense, once saved, always saved, based on that mental decision when they were given a chance to serve before time even began for man. But we humans, we're not judged on just a single decision of the brain to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior or not. And again, I encourage every Catholic out there to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and every non-Catholic to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
It's important, but it's not the end of our story. We will be judged on our thoughts, words, and actions. Look at Matthew 25. That is, we can lose our salvation for any sin we've committed after baptism or if we're not baptized. Thankfully, we are not immediately thrown into hell at our first mortal sin just like the angels. Why? Why doesn't that happen to us? Because thanks be to God, we have the atonement of the blood of Jesus that is first communicated by baptism and secondly, by confession if you sin after baptism. Now, Catholics need to be reminded, baptism, confession, the other sacraments, these are not magic tricks. They only work if you have supernatural faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, the moral of the story is this, you need faith and the sacraments to be saved. To prove that Jesus wanted to use the physical to save us, let's look at something in the Bible that has nothing to do with the seven sacraments, but yes, something big to do with the physical. Listen to Mark chapter 8. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So notice how much of the physical Jesus uses there to save him. He takes him by the hand, leads him physically outside. Then he uses his own saliva and puts it on his eyes. And then later he lays his hands on his eyes again. Look at all the physical here. Now, could Jesus have given sight back to that blind man without using his own spit? Of course, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he chose to use saliva to bring sight back to the blind. Why? Because he is the second person of the Trinity come in the flesh. And this is a man who is blind in the flesh. And so Jesus chooses to use physical things to heal us in the flesh. So now you see the difference between what is possible versus suitable. It would have been possible for Jesus to give sight by just mind-willing it, but he chooses to use the physical, his hands, taking him by the arm, spit on his eyes, laying his hands on his eyes. And one reason the physical is so important is because to heal a physical being, namely a human, it makes total sense to use physical means, namely hands, arms, saliva. So now you should see the importance of the physical to heal a physical humanity and how this ties to the sacraments from the CPX lesson today. Think of number three where the Pope wrote, I call the sacraments physical and efficacious signs of grace because all the sacraments signify by means of physical things the divine grace which they produce in our souls. Notice that he's not saying that these are just symbols, but the physical things actually affect the grace. Just like the saliva really did heal that man. It wasn't just a symbol. It actually really healed him. And question number seven, what is the matter of the sacraments? Answer, the matter of the sacraments is the physical thing made use of in affecting the sacraments, such as, for example, natural water in baptism, oil and balsam and confirmation. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, patris et spiritus sancti, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.